Hello, hello, and welcome to Art Pop Talk. Today, we have an amazing guest episode for you all with Jane and Paloma from Women's Art Wednesday. You already know them, you already love them, you've already read their book. So today, Jane and Paloma are here talking about nuns, their favorite nuns from art history, why not all nuns are the same nun. Very important stuff here, people. And if you haven't listened to our episode with Jane and Paloma from last March, make sure you go and do so. They talk about their amazing platform, their amazing book that they wrote, and you probably also just heard Jane on the podcast with Gianna talking about Brides of Art History pretty recently. So we have both the gals here joining us today talking all about nuns, huns. So let's get into it with Jane and Paloma. All right, welcome, Women's Art Wednesday, back to the podcast. The dynamic duo is here to join us, Jane and Paloma, co-founders of Women's Art Wednesday. We just had Jane on the pod for our Brides of Art History episode, which in my opinion was the most iconic episode that there ever really has <laughs> and ever will be <laughs> with Art so Pop Talk. Fun. Um, So, oh my gosh, like second month in a row, we just can't get enough of Women's Art Wednesday. How are you both? Welcome, welcome. We're doing well. We're so good. We just went together on my bachelorette party, so we're only just now recovering our sleep. Do not act like we are not thirsty for that content. Yeah. Give it to me. It was a lot of disco. It was a lot of ABBA. Yeah, it was a it was a disco weekend for sure. So and Jane's parents joined us at the disco (laughs) and it was epic. Yeah, my uh, my sister just had a baby. And so traveling, she was like, we decided to make it like a family thing, you know, going to have some help with the baby. My parents were like, is this weird that we're coming? And I was like, no, like just come. It's, you know, we're going to have a great time. And they, you know, obviously know Paloma and all the rest of my friends. And so we were going out one night. We we're like, do you want to come? And they're like, we kind of do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they made an appearance for like 10 minutes at the club. <laughs> Everyone was obsessed. We were scared at first because we were in line to go into the disco and they took them out of line. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did they just kick your parents out? But turns out it was just for their IDs and they didn't need to check their IDs. They were like, yeah, they were like in line. And we were like, oh man, they're getting barred at the door. And the bouncer was like, you're VIP, like you're coming with me. And they just disappeared like into the clubs when we finally got in there. My parents are like on the dance floor with like gin and tonics in hand, like (laughs) living it up was a good time uh um literally iconic i am here for it theban and i went to a wedding this weekend and the uh parents of the bride um did ballroom lessons to do to like do dances together and theban and i are taking ballroom dance lessons and we were terrible at it and we were like thirsty for their dance moves we were talking to these parents the most over the wedding because they were like oh have you learned how to like two-step and like they're like so ahead of us and we're like nope I am in the box I'm staying in the box like teach me your ways (laughs) they were killing it so the whole time Theban and I were just talking and watching the parents of the bride just admiring (laughs) the fact that they were living their best lives so I feel like parents out here are just killing it it's killing it's the parents moment honestly (laughs) I'm just a bystander (laughs) 
You're a bystander <laughs> at your own wedding. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely not. Jane is iconic. <laughs> I do love like the weddings of the two houses, like Art Pop Talk, Women's Art Wednesday. Yes. Like <laughs> We're like Game of Thrones over here. Like, <laughs> I am very much here for it, but it was a great episode and we are very excited for today's episode. We have been loving Women's Art Wednesday, Take the Wheel. Uh, in terms of our episode content, it's we've really been loving it um, so much. So today you all are in for um, a little bit of a treat. Um, so we've we've got nuns on the agenda <laughs> nuns, for today. <laughs> nuns, hun. I need everyone to know that the request for today's episode was that it was specifically called nuns, hun. So that is in the contract. <laughs> that is how we got them on today. So Bianca and I just need you guys to give us a little preview of what's to come for today. And please tell us what is the fascination with nuns. Um, I kind of love it that we're bringing a little bit of maybe like a spooky spice episode since, you know, we will, we won't have our Art Pop Talk Octobers anymore. Oh, yeah. It won't be as spooky as you think it will. But yeah. There's like one... I don't know. It's more like, it's funny when you look at nuns because some of them are like kind of trippy, like kind of, I don't know, spooky. Yeah, sometimes. I just know if I lived in the Renaissance, I would be a nun. Yeah. So (laughs) I know it was my calling. I've always loved nuns, just the idea of them. My mom, actually, she really wanted to become a nun when she was young. And my grandma didn't let her because my uncle was already trying to become a priest and she couldn't have that many people in the family. It's like one is enough. (laughs) So ever since then, I I always wondered why my mom liked it. And learning about nuns throughout history has been super fascinating, especially through art. And in Women's Art Wednesday, we've definitely highlighted some of some nuns that we really like and we're going to talk a little bit about them and maybe add a little bit of history here and there of some of our favorite nuns yeah and I think too like one of the things that's interesting about it for us as Women's Art Wednesday is that we kind of like stumbled upon like wow there's so many nuns in art history and like it wasn't necessarily like we went out looking for it but it you know just kind of popped up where we're like we featured like six nuns this year like what's up with that and um I think that that's been really this is a really cool opportunity for us it's been fun to prepare for this episode because we write in this short form way of doing women's art Wednesday posts you know like digestible small and all that and we really like that but like we're actually like nerdy academics at heart and like it's fun to like find the through line of like okay like we noticed that there are so many of these people popping up that have this kind of like similarity, although like nuns is also a very broad term, but um, it's just cool to be like, okay, we have a chance to kind of explore the historical context of why this might be that you see so many women in art history who are nuns like throughout time. I also realize that not a lot of people talk about nuns as uh, my colleague in from the University of New Mexico, Ellie Kane. She's actually writing her dissertation about nuns, and I'm constantly getting this feedback from her and new adventures and new um, books that she's reading, and I'm really excited to read once she has it written. So once she has that published, I will send it out your way. Yeah, Ellie Kane is like the Women's Art Wednesday extended universe. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> more, more. We love our art historians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have like a little team. 
it's super interesting like this kind of thread that you guys have discovered about nuns because I had this art history professor who also it wasn't until I was like in grad school where she was talking about this research she was doing on nuns and it's like why don't we talk about nuns that much like I feel like there's so much to do like in western traditional art history like we see a lot of popes and imagery of the catholic church and we always see these you know idealized women, these allegorical female figures, but we never really talk about the women who are involved in the church. And it's so focused on either fake made up women, women in stories or the Pope or, you know, a patron who did something for the church to get here. And then in grad school, also one of the only other kind of women artists, like a, a woman artist behind the scenes involved with the church, I feel like is Hildegard. And I don't know if you guys are going to talk about that, but like, <laughs> I, like that, it's like one person that I discovered in a, you know, gender and visual culture class. And it's so interesting. You guys are, are bringing this up because it's, it's just not something that you think about. It's not present in your textbook. Mm -hmm. And why is that? I, Yanka, I knew exactly what professor you were talking about. And when I <laughs> scrolled through their notes, I was like, Bianca's going to be so excited about this. But oh my God, I think when I bring up something like, oh, are we going to get a taste of like spooky spice? I feel like it's because like a lens that we've also taken on the Art Pop Talk podcast is kind of playing into those perceptions of like allegorical, like female characters. We've talked mm -hmm. a lot about witches. And like when we bring, when we've brought on Limbroils on the podcast, we've talked about those like personas that uh, these like women characters have kind of exemplified throughout pop culture, throughout art history, like through our kind of own creation. So it'll be interesting to kind of get into more of the art history of it today through yes. your all's lens. Yeah. I'm also a scaredy cat and I can't <laughs> get myself to watch The Nun. So I can't give you much context on that one, but I can give you a lot of context context on historical nuns. Have you watched The Flying Nun? Like, are you like a flying nun girly? I'm not, but I've watched the one with uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Sister Act? Sister, Sister Act. Act. Yeah. Oh, Sister Act. Iconic <laughs> nuns. I Iconic. love great nuns in that movie. This is what I'm saying. I was like looking through it. And then I mean, really, like, are we going to talk about nuns in art history and not talk about Sister Wendy Beckett? I like, was, come who, on. Who is going to bring it up first? Because you know. quota, I see you. Yeah. <laughs> She's going to be like so upset that she's like not with us right now. Like, oh. I'm so sorry, Beatrice, that you are not with us, but we see you. You're with us in our hearts because let me tell you, when I listened to that, um, what can really only be described as like a loving diatribe about Sister Wendy? I was like, I feel seen here. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like there are iconic nuns in pop culture and art history for sure. But I love Bianca that you brought that up of like, why do we not hear about them more? Um, because if you think about it, like in a lot of these kind of cloistered religious settings, and also I should give the caveat that a lot of what we're talking about right now is kind of like a Western canon, although these types of roles exist all over the world throughout all of history. Um, but a lot of it is like, if you think about it, a setting in which like writing and recording documents is very prominent. There's like a lot of information held and distributed. And then even with the, you know, kind of like beginnings of printing materials in Europe being like a religiously based thing, you would think that there would be like better record and better visibility of these women who contributed because they were in these settings where they were able to kind of dedicate a life to 
you know, intellectual pursuits in a lot of instances over a more domestic kind of expectation. Um, and I think it's really interesting that like, even with that, like the documents actually exist. Like we know about these people. The fact that we know about Hildegard is insane because that was so long ago. So long ago. Yeah. It predates so many things. Like, you know, if you think about like the Renaissance occurred and a lot of people have, you know, a base level knowledge of Renaissance art and art history, but like Hildegard is existing, you know, 600 years before that is just wild. And so, um, you know, we have the information and it's just kind of yet another example, I think, of how there's not that visibility within academia and museums and stuff like that, quite to the extent that there probably should be. And there's different types of nuns, too. And I think that's what really excites me is that no one nun is the same nun. <laughs> Please give me merch with <laughs> no one nuns are the same. Well, I was watching a documentary on Canopy. Or it was through the Canopy streaming device, and it was about nuns who grow cannabis and sell cannabis. So you know, there's there's different areas. You're not just the bride of Christ. <laughs> there, Gianna, what was that? Okay, I feel like hold on, my brain is conflating two nun images, <laughs> and, I, and one is that movie with like Aubrey Plaza, where oh with the the nun, but the other yeah. is like the imagery looks the same as this news story that they did on some nuns where they're like making like cheese, and <laughs> like in this like they're and they were trying to sell it. But like the equivalent of like a European FDA was like, you can't sell like this moldy cheese you made in a barrel to like the public for health reasons. And they were like, no, like it's they had all this like scientific backing, like we know mold on cheese is fine, like it's safe to eat, you know, all this stuff. But they're like, no, it's like fine and it's great cheese. Like so I think like I'm completing like this actual news story about nuns making cheese with the imagery of Aubrey Plaza like being a nun. The do nuns have like the little hobbies? I feel like they do. Like I yeah. feel like I think you I just have had to. like a little bit of like a crisis before jumping on this episode, and how our pop talk is coming to you know its closure. <laughs> We've all talked about that, and I was saying how we don't have hobbies. So now has this just been like, do I need to become a nun? Because what an excellent talking point now that we won't have the if, podcast I anymore. I just give you some connections, actually. If you don't. Yeah. Can we all I, be nuns and make cheese? Because yeah, I don't know making, why like, that's really speaking to me as an cannabis, cheese, starting like a choir sensation. Like, take your pick. Just, some monastic chants, maybe. Like, I I, guys, I really love this journey for us. I don't, I don't know. Oh, I know. Okay. Well, I'm like the the one one of the things too Paloma and I have these conversations regularly of like if we would have been born in the medieval era we would for sure request that that second life happen as nuns rather than anything else you could be in the medieval era um because like reading and write we put Hildegard in our book and like one of the things that we researched about her was that she lived a really long time she lived to be like in her 80s and people were like what is this witchcraft basically <laughs> like she's so elderly for living in like 1102 or you know whenever it was yeah. that she um was around and it's just it's really one of those things that's like you're more isolated so you're less likely to you know contract disease and interact with people um and then 
it's so hard to imagine in our modern lives, like a life where you have no technology and no work and no like Mm -hmm. social obligations or like very different from how we, you know, experience those things now. Um, So sometimes I'm like, wow, if I didn't go to my job every day and didn't have a phone to scroll and movies to watch and all of that, then yeah, I probably would be like making cheese and like writing books and studying nature and like all of these cool things that nuns through history have done. I also found out that she didn't start writing until her early 40s. Wow. So it was midway through her life. It wasn't something she started very young. That's so cool. Wow. Wow. Well, I think we need to let you guys get into it because yeah. we're already wanting to get into Hildegard and I feel like there's so many people who are already like, wait, who? I don't know. Wait, wait, I need more context. You know what? If you want to know about Hildegard, uh, Women's Art Wednesday, a woman artist for every week of the year, find it on Amazon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shameless yeah. plug. A great way to, you know, get to know her a little bit. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I just wanted to start out with too is like, we have in the doc, you know, first of all, what is a nun? And we already touched on this a little bit, but in the broadest possible sense, it's a woman who dedicates her life to religion. Um, It's very commonly like more of a lifestyle that's accompanied by a set of vows or rules, uh, kind of parameters that goes beyond, um, you know, just like a woman who considers herself religious. Uh, And obviously the the definitions of what that is can be really flexible depending on like what time period in history you're talking about. Um, And this is not necessarily to say like, oh, the institution of organized religion is like a monolith and like, you know, great for women or things like that. But um, really just that it's kind of interesting to see how that has been an existent factor in history and the way that women creators, um, you know, interact with that because we know that women artists have always been women have always been creating artwork and contributing to visual history and culture and society um in a lot of ways and so i think actually in particularly like europe um through a lot of history it kind of created as we've already talked about a little bit like this pocket of opportunity for women to pursue these more like intellectual um avenues of like you know writing and music and art and drawing and you know all these different things so a lot of the people that we talk about are like parts of different orders and like different branches of things so again just the caveat that like we're using none in a little bit of like a broad sense as far as like a cloistered woman individual although we do mention those throughout (laughs) yeah true true we do mention all of the the orders and things like that but yeah do you want to talk about Hildegard a little bit should we or should we yeah let's bring it up because we keep talking about her and I think people need to know how awesome she is um so she um so Hildegard I can't pronounce her last name von von Benin von Benin von Benin I think my (laughs) professor said Hildegard von Bingen Bingen. Bingen. You know, <laughs> that does that's m- what my art history memory is recalling. Who knows if that's correct? You know, that's just the thing about art history, too, is like the pronunciation situation is all over the place. Like we were just actually talking about we had the same teacher in high school that got us both into art history. And he had like the most flair for saying just art history terms like he'd be like rococo <laughs> like, and it would be like tishan tishan and, and then tishan. i got to college and they're like it's tishan i'm like it is not tishan. we're it like is this tishan. is boring okay like 
he was so much had so much more flair for art history so yes i trust your judgment honestly on the pronunciation because i'm terrible at it uh, me too um so she's from germany um she was born in 1098 ce so a very long time ago and she actually became a Benedictine abbess. Um, she was also a composer, a writer, a mystic, and a manuscript illustrator, which makes sense because she had a lot of time on her hands because she was not married. She did not have kids. She had a, <laughs> she had a lot to do. Um, she was known to write a lot of um, texts around the sacred visions that she had through dreams and just throughout the day. This was before they burned you. <laughs> for this <laughs> so I'm glad that we still have some of her writing that kind of goes into detail about that she also wrote about theology nature medicine music uh, musicians still use her music today which I think is incredible and she lived until she was 81 years old which is almost unheard of during this time because I'm pretty sure when you're in your 40s that's already like pushing the lifespan <laughs> it's pushing your time. luck in the medieval era <laughs> And so, yeah, she had a great run for her life. Um, she also, um, so a lot of her creative works, um, she also created, um, she recorded a lot of her full ap apocalyptic visions, essentially. They were so vivid. And I think that's why um, a lot of people really liked her because that's that was a time where people really believed in the visions that other people had. And they really took them seriously. And I think one thing that's interesting about Hildegard, too, is that if you talk about her um, today, a lot of different groups kind of take this ownership of her. You know, like she was a composer. And I mean, like when we released the book and she was a part of it, a lot of musicians were like, oh, like I can't name five women artists, but I can talk about Hildegard because she had such an impact, but she also was the author of a text called Naturalis Historia, which was like one of the first instances of recording natural history. And she like wrote a lot about what kind of became the basis of like herbal medicine and stuff like that. So like she has her hands in a lot of different pieces of history, including like visual and performance art. Her um, manuscript illuminations were part of my gender and visual culture class because of how closely some of them represent female anatomy. And that's also a reason that she, that, that I would argue, I know we've talked about her, you know, last time you guys were on the podcast, but Hildegard is actually a piece in Judy Chicago's The Dinner Party. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she has a place sitting there, but she's kind of one that I would say is overlooked like people don't if you don't know Hildegard you don't know Hildegard <laughs> yeah. you know but it's interesting that we do have like taken from you know these visions that she had there's so much that's you know very closely related to to physical bodies and I think that's super interesting that you know we saw her represented in Judy Chicago's place setting you know in the mm -hmm. 70s um so yeah she, that's really interesting to hear that she's you know I can see, I guess, how people take ownership. Like I can see like feminists and feminist art historians like wanting to be like, you know, have a have a stake or a claim to to this piece of, you know, women's history. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, like, I mean, we've even heard people who are kind of involved professionally in the sciences and stuff like that talk about Hildegard as like an early four person of a lot of natural sciences and and things like that. So um, I think it's interesting because I think that you hear this term renaissance man a lot of the time of like, 
<laughs> yes. Leonardo who? Leonardo, Leonardo who? who? Leonardo, I love you, but like Hildegard predates you by so far. Where, where it's like, you know, this like, I just, I do everything. And it's this time where there's not these silos that we have now of like, I'm an art historian versus mm-hmm. a scientist versus a composer, whatever. Um, we obviously all know that about Leonardo, but it's also true of Hildegard. And it's something where it's like, I think that the, that the label of like, oh, she's a nun is like kind of a profession that people bring to mind in and of itself. But it's like, really, this woman did it all. Like she did it all. And now she's a saint. Yeah. Can Leonardo da Vinci say that? No. It's not Saint Leonardo. Pre-Renaissance woman. Okay. Pre-Renaissance woman. Honestly, another great merch idea. Pre-Renaissance woman (laughs) on a t-shirt. God damn it. See the culture quote culture quote I just take up fucking everything that we've ever said on this podcast and like please put it on a t-shirt so I can please please (laughs) we have one request (laughs) yeah so she's incredible I think I equate her to the artist genius that we think of Leonardo and I really wish more people knew about her and put her in conversations when they talk about da Vinci and all these other artists genius because she really surpasses all of them Mm -hmm. and she's just a she was a very well-rounded person and just incredibly smart and she just had the time of her life yeah learning and like weird in a great way you know like there's this image that she made that is like I don't even really know what's happening but it is like a person and then just like what appears to be like octopus tentacles coming down from the top and it's just <laughs> like I don't know what's going on here but I'm here for on it. shrooms yeah. <laughs> I don't know I think she did study botany where... so she might have you know, tried it as well when we say she was living her best life folks we are not lying but I, I do think it's interesting you know just in talking about oh how you know jokingly if I was a nun like that would be kind of a sweet spot because we'd live a really long time but you guys would have a lot of access to research science like education also religion and like hopefully maybe like a safe way um it's just kind of interesting because when we think of someone like hildegard who is a woman who's wearing many hats it kind of makes me think of just why we also kind of um start to like characterize nuns differently also kind of tying in the pop culture sense when i think of them as kind of like a caretaker or like a healthcare provider as well mm-hmm. um then we start also like tying off all these little different avenues with how nuns have been like represented within like film movies all these other different things and it's like you can't put them in a box (laughs) I think we also have Mother Teresa ingrained into our mind and Mm. she is not she was not the greatest person in reality she came off as a really good person and this very motherly and caring person and I think that's what we envision when we think of nuns not all nuns are the same nun no (laughs) once again the tagline the tagline for this uh yeah so I mean while we're while we're in the west europe realm um there's another one that I want to talk about who is I also think great and interesting um and ties back to something that I talked about in the brides episode of hella symbolism because she was hella symbolism um but it's Herod of Landsberg which again I could very well be mispronouncing. Um, But she was a 12th century nun um, and she hailed from France. Um, But she's most well known for writing a piece called the, oh man, this is going to (laughs) be the Hortus Delicarium. Delicarium? Why didn't you chime in on that one, Plumber? (laughs) 
delicarium delicarium um basically the garden of delights and uh this is, you know, where we get into Hella symbolism, but it's also a pictorial encyclopedia and it's one of the first of its kind. Um, so she spent 30 years working on this book of like basically every bit of information and knowledge she could compile. So it's like natural history, it's religion, it's theology, it's philosophy, it's history, um, all of these things and put it all together, illustrated it. This is where we get into some spooky season content because there are like some very hellfire and brimstone type images included in this book. Um, and it was in total 648 pages with 336 hand-drawn illustrations. So that is, I mean, that's just a lot of work. Like anybody, any of the artists out there listening would be like, that's just a lot of hours to put into something. Um, but yeah, one of the first kind of like encyclopedias, which is really cool. A lot of the images are very haunting, a little bit spooky. They deal with scenes of like hell and demons and monsters. Um, but then there's also things that like pertain to just events that went on in her region at her time. Um, and so again, like just a really wide range of information that she was putting together. Um, regrettably, the original copy was destroyed in the Franco-Prussian War during a fire in the 1870s. Um, but it was so popular and well-known amongst the other women within her order and like since then uh, that there was just a lot of surviving record about the fact that she made this text and what it may have looked like and some copies of some of the illustrations and and stuff like that. But that, again, to me, is something that we encounter a lot with women artists. Um, another great example being Timorette, who's considered one of like the first ancient Greek paint women painters, um, is that like the work itself doesn't even exist anymore, but it was actually so impactful in its time that we still know about it, even though we don't have it. That's literally That's so really... fascinating. I'm just like, literally, like you were killing it so much back then. Like you were so popular that everyone knew your shit that we could literally just like tell you what it looked like, like verbatim that we would have some kind of record of it like that's the level of like celebrity that I'm trying to achieve and it's never gonna happen (laughs) you don't know but I think that's so that that kind of reminds me of this obsession that the art history world has with um like authenticity Mm -hmm. and originals and what gets to survive and what doesn't and what makes it into a museum and like this like what is art question you know and a copy is not art and therefore is that worth being put into your you know museum or into your textbook or your lessons you know like I think that there are interesting um like we see that a lot with like World War II paintings that were destroyed but we have like a photograph of it that shows up in every art history uh you know textbook it's like oh what is it called it's like the the shoes you know the guy with the shoes Mm. And uh, I'll find it later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, artist, I think. yes, yes, it's like an impressionist painting. And, um, but there's this weird sense of like, oh, this person mattered when we have all this other stuff from him and we have this photo. And so this photo is the thing. But why is that not the same for, you know, something like this work? I think I feel like there is a, a shift. I feel like there is a shift happening though, where like the art history world is starting to, and I feel like, Maybe that's just from maybe my education, which is somewhat of like a privilege, but talking about the unseen as well. But it's interesting that like the unseen is also conflated with like our historical like female like icons as well. And also, I think we treat 
books differently than we do art pieces. And it's much more acceptable to make these facsimiles of these pieces that they created, which are artworks, but I think we kind of put them in a different level in art history. Um, But I also learned that it's very expensive to create facsimiles and there's a lot of copyright issues that goes along with it. You have to get permission from the owner of the manuscript or the codice or whatever you are trying to create as a facsimile and they only make X amount of these copies. So it's actually a very interesting. Um, if if we don't avenue. have the original copy of this manuscript, is there anyone that owns the rights to what we know? Or I guess it would just be records, like like an archive has. Yeah, I don't records. know. I think it, it's valued by um, the earliest reproduction of the book. Okay, so that is, um, and it was created in a way that it's basically the exact replica and it was in the same style that I think we value it almost to the well right now we value it as the most expensive thing that she's created because we don't have the original one right yeah it's so interesting and like that really gets into things that are so I mean it's like kind of makes you be like oh the value of art is fake very quickly when you're like (laughs) we actually do have the ability to reproduce things yeah I would think of mm -hmm. it more as like a print Yeah. Yeah. Uh And also kind of like the intellectual property of it, Mm -hmm. you know, that like a lot of these, it's interesting because especially when it's something that was made in the medieval era, like oftentimes you'll have like copies and reproductions that were Mm -hmm. done by other people, but they're still like hand done and like, you know, made by somebody and super old, like the things that we would kind of think contribute to the value of a piece like that. Um, But at the same time, there is kind of this just like draw towards an original copy of something. Mm-hmm. We love originals. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really interesting. And also, I think it just blows my mind to have thing. I mean, the, this is like the history nerd in me, but it blows my mind that things exist so far in our past anyway that we can even interact with them, whether that's like mm-hmm. architecture or, um, you know, even anthropology and archaeology and artifacts and stuff like that or art pieces. But then like, especially when it's almost just like the notion of something that existed, that is really all we have left of it. And, um, you know, just that we even know about this person in 2023 and can look her up and read about her life. And the like one work that she did is actually destroyed. Um, But it still is, you know, it made the ripples. Yeah. I think also in the sense to like, again, kind of tying this all back to like the religious institution as well. When we think of like other like manuscripts, you know, that are like biblical, like the Bible, the Quran, like we see so many uh, uh, beautiful, like hand done, you know, Qurans. Like I was thinking about all the ones that I went to go see in Malaysia, all like the travel size ones, like the big ones, but like what was the first Quran? It's just interesting to know. And like you're saying, Jane, to like speak to what you're saying, to go back to even, even though this thing does not exist, we have the record of, of what it was from these reproductions and being able to trace back the original, not like we can with these other manuscripts from religious institutions. So that to me is also the interesting tie. I believe the Vatican has a lot of those and they don't want us to see them. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, there's a lot of archives <laughs> i mean i wonder why <laughs> yeah like, but it also like it's like i i want to see the game of telephone that happened you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that is also interesting and 
you know, that doesn't have anything to do with nuns, but like yeah. what we got today is not what was original. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Totally. And like how things are, I don't know, interpreted differently by different people. And really, I mean, like that's all of art history, right? Is like the what people interpret out of stuff that was made and like how we choose to represent that. And I think that that's actually kind of like our entire thing with Women's Art Wednesday is like, well, let's just have a voice in interpreting what history looks like through art because there's really like kind of one narrative and truly, you know, it's all, it's maybe not even necessarily the most accurate all the time. Mm-hmm. What a good crux moment. Like yeah. what a good, like, you know, full circle. Everything I know is a lie. <laughs> Everything or I'm just saying Just your, your daily existential crisis, courtesy right. of Women's Art Wednesday we, and Art Pop Talk. We love. That. You're welcome. <laughs> She knows our brand all too well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Next nun. Nun all number right. three. <laughs> Next nun. Um, this is my favorite nun of all time. Whoa. That's a big of statement. You love a lot of nuns. I love a lot of nuns. But this nun is the nun that I would be. Okay. I'm I just so know it. So we are talking about Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. Oh, yeah. And she lived in the uh, during the, she lived in New Spain, which is kind of Mexico now. Um, she was born in 1651, so she was arriving to New Spain um, really soon after the Spanish arrived to the Americas. And Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, I will say, she does come from a privileged background, and she was able to start her studies very early on. Um, she was reading as like, a very small child. And this is the time where they were very particular about women not reading. So she really had that privilege to learn from an early age. And when she became a nun, um, she was really able to dive into her creative space and write these very beautiful poetry that I think is really what is the foundation of American literature in the Americas, not to say the United States. And if you ever have the chance to read her poetry in Spanish, um, I really recommend it because she is great. She also knows how to be very subtle about talking shit about men. Can I put you on the spot and ask you to read this one little little poem snippet that's in here? here. I just love it so much because the title of the poem is You Foolish Men. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to read this in Spanish. Um, All right. So you foolish men, hombres necios que acusáis a la mujer sin razón, sin ver que sois la ocasión de lo mismo que culpáis. So in translation, because I'm not going to just leave you with that, um, it's you foolish men who lay the guilt on by women, not seeing you are the cause of the very thing you blame. Boom. That's some nun shade right there. Well, that aged very well. <laughs> it aged so well. Like you could send that to someone and just wreck them. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, copy and paste if you ever need it, you know. If you, find, if you need inspiration. <laughs> Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz is your lady. And there's this really good um, adaptation of her life in a novela, and it's so dramatic because it kind of insinuates that she has this love affair with the vice royalty, um, the wife. Oh. Um, I believe she was a lesbian, and 
just based on her writings. <laughs> Not because she just hated men, but she had a lot of her poems dedicated to this woman. I believe her name was Maria. Um, and so we love we love a queer woman. And let's see. Um, so, yeah, she is uh, one of the greatest historical poets and philosophers, I will say. Um, she unfortunately um, had to really hide her knowledge. So she was invited um, by the the vice royalty to come speak at the court, which is unheard of. Um, they usually don't like to listen to women at that time or even now. Um, <laughs> but towards the end of her life, they really gave her an ultimatum and they basically told her that she had to stop writing and dedicate herself to Christ. And towards the end, she did finally agree to that, which I am so upset about because I'm sure that that moment she would have written some very strong worded things to those men okay there's also reports which is just you know maybe we need to fact check this however some historians claim that this agreement was written in her own blood yeah and so it's like what? i believe it though because catholics <laughs> like stuff like that yeah yeah so that like <laughs> i can say this as i i grew up catholic <laughs> and i study catholicism in history <laughs> That's true. She has a literal master's degree in it. But like the yeah, the there are like reports that basically this agreement that she signed was written using or like signed, you know, using her own blood as ink, which is just like a pretty metal move and like kind of it's intense. It's giving me like Harry Potter, I must not tell lies and I I don't know much about Catholicism yes. and so my first visual reference is Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's That's that's wild yes yeah it's just some like interesting flavor again about like there's a lot of nuances here when you talk about like what you know life was like for a nun and kind of the ability to pursue these more intellectual pathways and stuff like that like obviously it's different depending on the time period and where it is and you know the circumstance and and all of that stuff so but yeah, I just always thought that was like kind of a little bit of interesting flavor on that story. I think story. she actually did that. I really think that happened. Yeah. Um, so how, how, I mean, it seems like her writings must have been pretty popular outside of like a, like the church space. Cause you're saying she went to court. So, and for them to say, you have to stop doing these writings, were they distributed like regularly or how did people so. hear about it? Okay. Um, and then she well she she was known for her work and she was known as this very highly intellectual child so people knew of, of her mm-hmm. and i mean the vice royalty in spain is essentially um the king and queen is they follow the king and queen's order from spain directly so that is their leader so her being around the vice royalty is pretty important during that time mm. but i think she was too smart for them and they're like we can't have this so they kind of forced her to become a cloistered nun and they really limited her um, intellectually which was so sad because she created this very amazing library within her own room and they kind of I think they had her burn it I believe Mm -hmm. it's it's very sad yeah yeah another instance of like destroyed this time a little more forcibly, but, um, you know, destroyed and lost collections and really just like uh, the other kind of piece of art history and writing and stuff like that, that I think isn't always highlighted enough, but like collecting and the people who put together these bodies of knowledge, which she certainly was. 
But I will say Mexico does appreciate her because she is on one of the money, uh, one of the bills, (laughs) (laughs) one of the pesos. So they do appreciate women in history sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also interesting because that's like another, yet another thing that is kind of like, there's so many issues tied into art history, which is also why we love it. But like this kind of global perspective that can get lost of like, this is somebody who is relevant enough in Mexican history that is like honored on modern day money and had obviously this cultural impact. And most people I would say in the U S that, uh, you know, don't have a background in that type of thing, probably haven't heard of this person. Um, so I think that that's just kind of like, I love looking at things like this, like the niches of art history, because what they allow you to do is kind of like see these broader pictures and like these ideas of like, how can we compare things that happen all around the world and like different cultural perspectives and, you know, track history and all of that stuff. It's really just that it's like a tool for being able to look at the broader kind of social historical context. Mm -hmm. This is maybe like a little bit of a tangent, but do you guys also feel from like an art historical perspective that it's really hard to also talk about these stories without this idea of just like the tragedy of it all? And is that us like inflating also like our modern perspective on it? Like obviously like these, it's like these things are clearly like very sad. Like it's, it's sad to like force people into certain boxes, but it's, it's that tragedy aspect of also looking at the artist or the the person from history that I feel like it's hard for us to always get away from. And that's, I feel like kind of where like the stigma of, of kind of art history comes into play too. Like all of this is, you know, ending like, oh my God, look at this amazing icon, but then this is super sad and her life ended this way. Yeah, I think we see that a lot with women in art history is we really tie them to this tragic story. And it's really hard to remove the tragedy from the artist. Um, Obviously, the biggest example is Frida Kahlo and her lifelong um, just journey of pain that she had. And we can't remove that from her paintings and with Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz and other nuns, I think we really have to talk about their tragic story and these limit, harsh limitations that they endured. But we also have to realize that they did have this sort of privilege in the time that they were living in because they were able to read, they were able to write, they were able to learn. They weren't um, constrained to uh, having a husband and taking care of the kids because if they were married, they wouldn't have any time to do this and they weren't allowed to do this. Um, I think with some families, they let women read enough so they can teach their children how to read, but that was really the extent of it. They couldn't do anything like reading for pleasure or writing in diaries. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also think that's such a, it's it's really like a line that we try to walk all the time with writing about art history because it's so appealing to like lean into the narrative of it. And, you know, there is always this story. And I think that we consume a lot of fiction in our modern lives. And so it kind of makes it makes for good fiction in a lot of ways. Um, And I think that there's also so like Paloma and I work with a lot of classes who contribute to Women's Art Wednesday. And we talk about like our ideas with them and do these workshops. And one of the things that we always really encourage students to do is to avoid that and say like, for example, like the, um, you know, contem- well, more contemporary artist Ana Mendieta, like clearly has a very tragic end to her life. 
And that's something that people tend to focus on a lot, just like Frida Kahlo. You know, there's so many instances of it with men and women, both in art history, but often with women. And we're always kind of like, okay, like try to separate from that, like try to talk about these other parts of their life. But at the same time, they're sometimes unavoidable. And like in the case of some of these nuns in history who have had, you know, tragic things happen to them or their work taken away from them or, you know, whatever else. Um, I don't know that it's really fair to like completely remove that story either. And I think the truth is, is that, you know, as a historian, you have to kind of keep in mind that lives are a lot, you know, there's a lot of things that go into somebody's life and career and it's not all tragedy or like maybe a tragedy doesn't mark necessarily like the entire tenor of that person's work and life. Um, but it's certainly a part of it because all of us will experience, you know, good things and bad things and tragedy and um, high points. And so I think that part of it is just trying to have kind of like a balanced perspective and then also say like, okay, like, am I fixating on this specific element or like thinking of this as a bigger tie than it is because of perceptions that I have of like a woman's like tragic backstory, kind of like soap opera narrative. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the classic Artemisia story Mm -hmm. is like, you know, she suffered a terrible rape. So all of her paintings are about like this terrible thing that happened in her life. And I think she's gotten big enough, like in, you know, the, the general conversation so that you can not talk about those things. But I think that's a, up such a, a fascinating distinction. And it's so important. And like the work that you guys are doing to, to acknowledge those things but also you know separate that they don't dictate everything about this person is just like it's so it's so refreshing and I just appreciate that take and it's it's like you to your point like you can't ignore it like it's there it happened yes but that doesn't mean everything's about it and and I just oh I just appreciate that so much yeah people are more than one thing you know and it's like sometimes I also think that almost like we do with celebrities which I feel like is what you guys talk about a lot with pop culture of like removing them from humanity in a way of like for and we do that with historical figures of like I forget that this person was just a person and has these like facets to their life and work and you know their intellect and what they create and what they do over the course of like an entire life that we're looking at but Yeah, no, it is. It's super interesting. And it's also something that like plays into when you're writing about women in history and art history a lot. Um, And like another big example of that being with Artemisia or other artists who were like trained by their father. And we almost kind of like push back against the like, oh, you know, they say Artemisia Gentileschi, like daughter of a painter and identify her that way. So then people end up kind of like removing that or we say like, well, that, you know, that's maybe relevant to the biography because it shows how that was a point of privilege that she had to be able to even learn in the first place or couldn't go to these traditional academies or whatever. So nothing gives me a greater sense of like just vindication than when I'm writing about an artist like that. And I can write, she learned painting from her father, also an artist, just unnamed, leave it short. (laughs) There you go. I think that's also interesting. Just thinking in terms of going back to nuns, we brought up some of these um, like nuns in today's episode, that seems like they kind of possibly came from points of privilege, but we didn't really talk about all of their entry into religious institutions or what that looked like and what that choice looked like. I feel like sometimes too, when we look at um, um, 
people through the lens of art history, we're not always looking at things in terms of choice. It's just that this is how it was. But we can, if there is a way that we can pinpoint something, you know, like a historical icon who was a nun and was that their choice to go into that institution or was it forced or was it just the easy choice? Was it the safest choice? Um, I don't know, but I think that is just maybe like an interesting thought to just kind of leave us with or think about. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like no one in, in history, unless it's, you know, written from their own word, even then you know, who knows what happened between right. then and now. But like, it's this weird line of who has the autonomy. Is it the historian or is it the historical figure? And who gets to place autonomy and what time and how it happened? And so I think that's, that's a super interesting distinction that I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know that we, we think about that. We take so much for fact and I feel like we just follow the timeline and we're like, so this happened, so this happened, so this yeah. happened, so this. But like, yeah, was there a moment where where a choice where that person could have made like a distinction or decided to go down that path like in their life? I don't know. I we base our say. own choice on it. Like Jane and Plomy are talking about like we'd we'd totally be nuns, but I don't know that I would be like, I don't think she cho- <laughs> I don't think she chose it, but that's in my my modern context. Like right. I wouldn't make that choice, but mm-hmm. you're totally right. Back then, that that's a smart choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would I become if a it nun was there today? No, I would not. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have yet to. Take I will that say, um, you know, bringing back my friend Ellie, um, she in her dissertation, she's actually looking at nuns as art patrons. So she's really giving autonomy to. Um, a lot of these cloistered nuns in Mexico um, who, when you hear cloistered nuns, you just, I don't know, you think of this woman in her room the whole time. Um, All day, every day. But one of the things that uh, nuns, especially in New Spain, what they did is that they commissioned, hopefully, I I believe they commissioned these paintings and Ellie will let us know in her dissertation. (laughs) Ellie, write in if this is false. (laughs) Um, so there's a lot of uh, nun portraits, um, and they're called crowned nun portraits from New Spain that are absolutely gorgeous. Um, we have one here at the Denver Art Museum that is beautiful, and it shows the nun in all of their regalia, and they're wearing these very intricate floral crowns that have all of these um, floral elements to them. And when you look at the ones from New Spain, you also notice um, that this this was chosen by the nun herself and she had help from what we think is probably most mostly indigenous women based on um, the type of floral arrangements that is seen on the crown and the thing about these paintings is that they were given to the family members of these nuns because they were never going to see their daughter ever again mm-hmm. so it was a very um kind of like a goodbye like here is our daughter um and so they would hang them up in their homes and be like yeah our our daughter's a nun this is what she looks like we won't see her which is very sad and there's also um portraits of dead nuns and those are just hard to look at um they're mostly um of nuns who have I think they're probably late in their age and um higher up in the convent um 
but yeah, those, those paintings are also very, um, very beautiful and hard to look at this like momento mori situation. Wow. That what you're describing, that's so like touching, but also heart wrenching. Yes. Yeah. And that's how spooky kind of like we'll get. <laughs> yeah. It's like a weird thing. It, it's like a nice offering or like almost gesture like to the family, but also kind of like how devastating of also like a sacrifice and a choice that is mm-hmm. at that time. Like, yeah, you, yeah. you can't yeah. have it both ways. You can't. It is. Yeah, it's the first step of mourning, essentially, for your family. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's what um, Crown Nuns is what Christina Gonzalez, her work on Crown Nuns, um, she was on an episode with us and she talked about hauntology. So I can like see kind of like the connections of like this, this memorial, this person might not be lost yet. They might not have passed, but there is this like kind of sadness, this this loss in, in this visual presence that they have in this work mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um to your point a little bit earlier too about like where's the autonomy and what are the decisions I think that there's also like an element in history and art history of like maybe women not necessarily like seeking oh I want to go into this because of the intellectual opportunity but also like society kind of like pushing that for women that didn't fit the mold otherwise and being like this is your option now or like kind of like go here and do this whether it's family or you know whatever um that I think kind of makes that demographic really interesting and diverse and varied in a lot of ways which is really cool yeah it's really fascinating to see i think like why we're just so intrigued by this it's interesting to hear you talk about how like some of these like people have like spun off into like novellas because it it seems like such a juicy like places like it's those are the kind of people you know if if we're kind of characterizing them as like outcasts or like also not fitting into the norm like those are also the people that like are are making these like good stories for us that we're so intrigued by yeah yeah and, and we I, haven't even gotten into some of the more wild nuns which we don't have time for <laughs> this episode <laughs> but anything that comes before the council of trent which is um in 1545 i believe and that's what um made the catholic church not do shady shit <laughs> so this is why like this Historical is because popes were having children and nuns had these convents that were more like brothels. Um, You can read about it in the Venice convents in Italy. Um, So before that, they really had this, like they were nuns, quote unquote, but they were just living this lavish lifestyle and spending this money, spending these dowries that they were given by their parents um, for the convent, but actually were spent in other ways. Yeah. And I mean, I think so that's kind next of... So Women's Art Wednesday book is going to be like all about nuns. <laughs> all about um, nuns. Yeah. Well, and nuns. that's kind of the thing is like <laughs> party nuns. Again, another great t-shirt. But like <laughs> the that's kind of the thing I think that um, we thought going into this and like kind of going back to what I said at the beginning of like, there is no monolith here. Like it's not all one thing. Not all nuns are the same nun. But like, I think that that's part of what makes this so interesting. Like it's such a broad topic really to say like nuns in art history, because there are so many individuals that fit into that category that are so very different. But I think that that's kind of what makes it such a interesting and like fun and entertaining. Like really it's just that they have great stories. Like it's a, it's a type of demographic that you can look at that has, you know, often like a big body of work and things that have survived um, a long, long time. And it just becomes really fun to like, 
dig into and read about. And I guess if I had like an ending thought, it would really just be that like, that's why I love art history so much is that you can pick just like some weird niche and like learn a lot about the world kind of following that rabbit hole with it. You can. Well, do we have, do we have one more nun? Um, We do. So I have a, well, okay. So we already talked about Sister Wendy, but I think that like, she was my last nun because I was like, we got to talk about Sister Wendy Beckett. She's already had a lot of airtime on APT, as we know. (laughs) (laughs) However, I think it's just worth noting that like, she is ubiquitous in 1990s, 2000s, like children's education and uh, you know objectively adorable as hell and like just you know all of these things that we associate with art history that um you know I mean like we were still watching her in like my college art history classes like so there's clearly like this kind of persisting tradition of women in this role providing kind of education and like very commonly to other women and stuff that I think is really cool and interesting that you can track that all the way back to the medieval era to like 2002 with sister Wendy like that's just kind of a fun, a fun thing. And then I, the last kind of thing that I had about nuns was just a quote, um, from a biographer named Bernardo de Domenici talking about the artist Luisa Campomazza, um, in kind of, you know, the proto-Renaissance era saying that she sent back every advantageous marriage proposal instead, nobly enjoying herself with painting with which she was exceedingly in love and, you know, eventually kind of pursuing this lifestyle as well. And I just thought that that was kind of like a very indicative beautiful quote it really sums up women's art wednesday (laughs) (laughs) the things with which we are exceedingly in love oh my Uh, gosh well i just need to say that beatrice culture coda is probably so ecstatic because i think her life goal is to make sure that sister wendy beckett gets into the canon and that she does contribute to things but just even listening to you speak about just like giving her her place and giving her her dues is yeah is making her like it, it, giving her a place just like yes sister like and like possibly you know just like a longer history and tradition than is maybe always given credit that like there mm-hmm. are a lot of women nuns in art history and they're doing oh amazing things <laughs> uh but yeah well, i mean i think do you have any final nuns Paloma? Um, I have like fun fact nuns. Um, Ooh. I know that, um, there's a nun who beat Elvis on the top charts in 19, in the early 1960s, I believe 1964. And her name was sister Luke Gabriel Ooh. and she was a singer and she just knocked him off the charts. Wow. Uh, good for her. I feel like that should have been part of our, uh, you know, art history or women artists, uh, trivia that we did with you guys. <laughs> That would have been a good one. Who knocked Elvis off the charts? That would have been a good one. I love it. Was it, do you know what kind of music? Like, was it like gospel? Because that's also just I'm, interesting if she like I'm knocked Elvis so. off I. It's something that I ran into when I read an article about it a few weeks ago. Strangely um, enough, it was also rock and roll. So. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know that. I, I can't verify that. I, I No, I don't know. I haven't listened, but I will look at it. She probably has a playlist on Spotify that we can find. I think Hildegard has a playlist on Spotify or like there's been choirs. Yeah. Yeah. And I listen, I think actually maybe we listened to this together, but I remember at one point like encountering some of Hildegard's music and thinking of like, like you said, like a gospel kind of like more modern concept of what like nuns create. And it was like definitely more of a chant than a song. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yes. 
do you yeah do you have any more nun facts i have endless nun facts but i think that's that's a good that's a good amount that's a good journey through nuns in art history i feel like i mean i i could keep talking to you too as we know forever we don't like, we don't want to say goodbye i don't know i know, I know. also but like before, i feel like it's kind of the end of an era of like women's art wednesday art pop on the podcast oh. <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> it's fine um, i'm fine <laughs> look i fully I'm- support the like you know everything comes to an end kind of thing or like even it might not even be the end even if it's a break or whatever like I think that mm-hmm. there's such a value in saying like we completed a thing and like I don't know I really respect what you've done with art pop and I respect also <laughs> saying like we are breaking from this and we'll see where the road takes us <laughs> yes 100 percent. yes I I echo what you're saying although it's like I'm it's feeling a, it in my yeah. yeah it's hard to right now. think that it's um you guys are our last guests on oh my APT gosh. and um we've had so many incredible guests and conversations and like I'm just at the end of the day like truly honored to have met you two through our pop talk and to have like seen what you've done and the project you created, I mean, we talked about it last night. It's just like, it it truly amazes me what you have done, what all the other creators, Culture Quota has that. Like, it just, we've met so many amazing people. And I'm yeah. so, so grateful for it. And so grateful for the things that you were just like putting out into the universe. And Oh my God, same to you I guys. Yes. Also, <laughs> like, every time I listen to an episode of Art Pop Talk, I'm like, my dream is that I could just like, have dinner with all of these people like everyone who's ever been on art pop talk like get together and just because yeah seriously every episode every guest has always been I feel like I take so much away from it yeah I my dream with art pop talk in us is to be at the Met Gala together (laughs) just talking smack at a very (laughs) prestigious table wow I I don't know if, if I've we, mentioned this about Paloma before, but she has the best like big goals about things in general. But when we first started Women's Art Wednesday, I was like, I feel like we should do this page and it'd be really cool. And she was like, yeah, I love that. I think that it's going to be great. And I think it'll get really popular. And then we'll go on Ellen. Like <laughs> It was like, that was the Paloma, jump. Is like, Paloma and I are on the same wavelength. <laughs> we are. Yeah. We're there. Why shoot for the in-betweens, you know? I think we can get Versace to sit us at their table. Oh, Donatella, right. if you're listening, I was ask Caparelli. If we all were invited to <laughs> the Met Gala and we were all seated together, like, whose table would we be at? Would we be at Scaparelli? Would we be at Versace? I would be fine with either of those. Yeah, I'll I either. O, but uh, I love Versace. Donatella, again, if you're listening, I know you may be. Honestly, it's like more of a question of like which one of them could get us, you know? Like, that's oh, like they're gonna have to make some really convincing arguments. That's true. I mean, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. You you don't have to tell me twice. Like, I'm I'm sold. Anything anything you put onto the universe, I'm like, yeah. I'm already envisioning the gowns that we're gonna wear. Oh my god, yeah. Oh my god, you might be wearing a pantsuit gown. A pantsuit gown. Oh, I like that. I like. Can I rewear my wedding dress? I was gonna say, or you can rewear your wedding dress. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if the theme is bridal, yeah. Why not have a bridal 
Yeah. Has there been a bridal Met Gala? No, but Penelope Cruz was wearing a bridal dress at the Met Gala last week. We we saw a lot of bridal We had a lot of bridal looks. Yeah, we had a lot of Chanel bridal. Yeah. Okay, possibly a more attainable future goal for Women's Art Wednesday and Art Pop Talk is hosting the uh, Art Historian Met Gala, where we all just get together all of these minds that have been on APT to host our own little Met Gala, (laughs) where everybody... (laughs) I would love that please okay we're just gonna manifest that and say that is that is going to be a thing and Gianna you're like a professional event planner okay I'm looking at you right now this is your time to shine okay this is this is what I bring to the table in in this conversation with literally three art historians like my artist event planning ass is just trying to keep up with the conversation at all times I'm like Paloma's voice is like so like calming and I'm like trying to listen to what you're saying but I'm just like mesmerized by you (laughs) that I just am like "Uh uh-huh yeah okay like cool like I'm just like not the first person to mention this because (laughs) when we were out at my bachelorette party one of my friends who hadn't met Paloma very much before was like I feel like I want her to like read me a book while I go to sleep (laughs) you need to be on the call map Paloma like Really? I would, not in a creepy way, but listen to you. Like, <laughs> yeah, my anxiety's uh-huh. like very impressed right now. Oh yeah, I, I appreciate. You've it. got all the yeah. like calming, like beautiful voice vibes. Oh, thank you, thank you. I just it's feel like, like so buttery. Yeah, like, it's just like so like dreamy. I'm just like in awe that you all would grace us with your presence on this podcast multiple truly. times, truly, and that you would, you know, this is also all to say, please let us manifest this event. I will make it happen. I will draw us up a plan. But this is all <laughs> to say that even though we are retiring the podcast, Bianca and I are not going anywhere. So this speaks for anyone that we've engaged with on the podcast. Um, we will make sure that you all know where to find us and keep up with us um, because, you know, we are still working professionals and want to keep up with everyone personally and professionally and just don't forget about me. (laughs) Um, We never will. And you have this body of amazing work that you've made that exists forever as Art Pop Talk, which is so cool and such a big accomplishment. And also, if you ever want to like write guest features on Women's Art Wednesday, we are, we are always down. Yes. Anytime. (laughs) So, we're we you know we are off to to the next phase but what is next for women's our wednesday what's next um i think we're still writing the high of our book yeah mm. honestly we've been hell yeah yeah we've been working with some classes um and that's been fun to do kind of like more hands-on kind of outreach things um if yeah. you look at our instagram right now we just wrapped up one with a college women in art history course um so where all of the students is. did like their own women's art wednesday post and um that was really cool and we we're kind of expanding that but i think i mentioned this on the brides episode i would love to do like a women's art wednesday children's book edition Yes, yeah. I stand this idea very much. I'm gonna Truly. need to hold you guys to that. Need a copy of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. We'll I will invite you to our book tour. Yeah, <laughs> the children manage book. Oprah's and your interviews. Yes, I know. Can I was I gonna plan say, your book I heard tour. You're like you guys, a book you guys should hire me. I'll I'll like plan all your little like book oh, tour like events. Yes. Like, I just um, want to be a part of this, and like, I just want to be like the fly on the wall. So I know that this is like a joke but it's actually also my real life dream like yeah. you guys are already like you guys are so already cool doing that, that though you're living yeah, it you, like you published awesome. this amazing thing and then you're taking this thing that you worked so hard on and then 
bringing it out into the public and like having those cool in-person conversations with people. And I just, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. It's been very rewarding working with uh, undergraduate students and seeing their creative (laughs) works and kind of listening to them and engaging these discussions that Jane and I have been in for many years now. And it's very uplifting and it honestly has inspired us to continue on this journey that we've been on and hopefully we can create bigger projects in the near future. Yeah. I will say we talked to one high school class and I got scared. I was like, (laughs) high schoolers are... (laughs) They seemed to like us. They thought we were cool. So yeah. Hey, you know, I was like, I've never, I was like, I've spoken to so many college classes at this point and I've never been more intimidated than I am right now. (laughs) (laughs) It was terrifying Uh, because they were seniors. It was an art class and they were seniors. Mm -hmm. Do you know how mean seniors can be? They're so over it. They like want to get out of there. It was, but yeah, overall it went okay. But I think that was the most nervous I've ever been speaking to a class. Yeah. But yes, I think that Paloma absolutely hit the nail on the head. Like we're just kind of riding the wave of this project and trying Mm -hmm. to see like what the next thing is like when it feels right and you know let it develop kind of naturally we sound like artists but (laughs) yeah we're really letting our creative side take over and we're not trying to push anything that we don't feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. so but yeah I I think we'll work on this children's book I think that would be very very beautiful and I think it would come out amazing yeah yeah. And I mean, I know we're, we're kind of like wrapping up here and at the end of our time, but it's just something that I've been thinking about with the children's book of like, as I've gotten older, like the kind of audience that I want to approach changes. And so yeah. it was like when I was in college, it was very much like my peers and like, you know, now still a lot or like in a way, even like, oh, I want like museum professionals to care about this or read this content. And then it was kind of like, okay, like I want to work with college students who were like me because I was so inspired by my professors. And now I have like nieces and nephews and like a lot of kids in my life. And I think like, I want to like write stuff for them and do things for them. So I think it's cool to just like, let it evolve as we evolve, which, you know, Mm -hmm. has been a really fun and great thing about it so far. And on a personal level, I think all of the art inspiration from my life happened at an early age so I would really love to give that to kids so I think with a book it would be so beautiful to do it yeah just know that we all want this for you and we love it (laughs) and all eyes are on women's art Wednesday for this content (laughs) all right that was the push we needed thank you yeah we do need we needed a little push yeah I mean any to any time now we're just like gonna be yeah, sliding into your dms yeah. as like motivational cheerleaders as please <laughs> we actually do need that you're yeah. now our full-time hype people <laughs> that will not be a problem yeah, <laughs> yeah oh. that I can do. um so you have a very exciting wedding happening soon i want to congratulate you on your wedding your beautiful day i i know that everything is going to be amazing i just i can't wait to i can't wait to hear about it i know i can't wait to hear about the upcoming wedding for art pop talks (laughs) as well and like i yes i'm very excited and honestly coming on the podcast was such a fun part of the whole process and so on brand but really yeah we'll wait to like hype you up like we'll give you like a month okay yeah Yeah. and and then we'll be like We'll One give you some time to like, book yet. enjoy your wedding. And then, I will yeah, say I, I sent that episode to my future in-laws and <laughs> I was like, hey, I was on this podcast. Like you should listen to it. And like my sister-in-law, who is the sweetest, messages me like shortly after listening to it. And she was like, do you need any help? Like, can I, can I like help you do something? 
And she's like, you know, like, let me know if there's any like tasks that you need done because I talk so much where I'm like, this is so much work. I was like, I guess I was kind of like railing about how much work it is, but <laughs> what do we always say though? Our pop talk is, is this is a safe space. It is a <laughs> dumping <laughs> ground for your thoughts. So like respectfully Dump to away. your sister-in-law, like mind your business <laughs> Jane is doing great though uh well yeah and I mean we've I literally we had so much fun on our little like bachelorette weekend and I mean it's gonna be great I'm so excited but also just to like reverse the hype I really am so honored to have been on this podcast and to be part of this project and it's amazing to get to have met you guys through this and like I'm so proud of you honestly as weird as it sounds to be like I'm proud of you but like you guys have done such an amazing job with this and really like brought a lot of positive content into my life. So I hope you keep the the episodes up so we can all share them and still listen to them. Yeah, yeah they're absolutely. incredible. They should be an up indefinitely. And we'll, we'll repeat that, you know, in mm-hmm. our oh, next and final episode. <sighs> um, I didn't realize but, that uh, we were they, the last guests on APT. This I'm glad you said that towards the end because that would have been a lot of pressure at the beginning. <laughs> Better be on our game today. (laughs) Yeah, but this episode, Women's Art Wednesday, you can can come back and listen to this as many times as you want. Um, There's no reason that any of our content would be taken down anytime soon. So you have plenty of time to listen to this and uh, share it with friends. Yeah, and thank you guys for- No, thank you guys for being a part of this journey, Uh, being a supporter, being on the podcast. We couldn't have done it without you and and people like you. So we don't want to say goodbye, but um, this has been an incredible nun episode and what a fantastic (laughs) note to end on because, you know, not all nuns are the same and you can't put nuns in a box and... I feel like we're all really strongly identifying with nuns and I'm going to go like drink a glass of wine and see how I feel about that. Yeah, I'm going to make some cheese while you're at it. (laughs) And I'm going to eat some cheese. Yeah. No, I'm going to make cheese from scratch. We're how to make cheese. Yeah. Contemplate your hobbies. moldy. (laughs) Yes. And thank you for also preparing this episode and sharing your research. We also appreciate that time. (laughs) Thanks for like doing all this work for us. Oh man, thanks for giving us like a place to just talk about some random thing that we would talk about with each other anyway. I've been waiting for this moment. I'm like, yes, someone is finally interested in talking about nuns in art history. (laughs) And I have to give credit where credit is due. Like the whole like fascination with nuns is a Paloma thing. Like she's the one that was like, dude, look at all these nuns. Or like when she sends me Women's Art Wednesdays, she's like, we're doing another nun today. I don't even care. I'm not even sorry. <laughs> it's really the Gemini in me. I have a lot of interest and <laughs> nuns is just right up there. Nuns is one. Oh. Love it. I'm here for it. Love it. Well, everybody, thank you. Women's Art Wednesday for being here. We will talk to you all in two Tuesdays for our final episode of our pop talk. Bye everyone. Bye. 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 Art pop talks, executive producers are me, Bianca Martucci Bank. And me, Gianna Martucci-Fink. Music and sounds are by Josh Turner, and photography is by Adrian Turner. And our graphic designer is Sid Hammond.